0: Hello, welcome to the Westside podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. Westside's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step-by-step. Step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. But for today, we are finishing out uh, our series on uh, on our mission and vision and it, you may have noticed there's there's not been a whole lot of like well here's the exciting new place that we're uh, going as a church here's the fancy new stuff that we think we're gonna be about and whatnot and instead it's it's been much more about the characteristics that I think that I want to see us known by, and that I believe God is directing us into. We talked about calling. We talked about consistency. And and by the way, consistency being a a Sunday morning thing for sure, but if you remember the, the visual that I put up on the screen when we talked that week, all of those hours, 24 hours out of seven days of a week, and one of those is this time right here. One way to add some more consistency, some more uh, community to your life is to sign up for one of those small groups, to have an opportunity to be with people more, and people who are going to encourage and challenge and build you up. Um, there's also disciplines that we can incorporate into our lives as well, and we'll continue to explore those as we get on into these, uh, these next coming weeks we talked about consistency last week we talked about courage willingness to a courage to stand up for truth yes but also a courage just to like face our own stuff and encounter who we are truthfully and honestly authentically it also takes courage to ask good questions and that's what brings us to this final trait, this final week of this vision series, that we are going to be looking at the topic of curiosity. Curiosity. Now, I've made this disclaimer at the beginning of the last couple, and this is again the case here. Curiosity is not a specific word that shows up in Scripture, and in a in an effort to make sure that we are always working from what we know in what God has revealed about Himself, working from the Bible to life. I want I want to be real clear why I feel comfortable preaching a message on something that doesn't technically show up in Scripture, and and it's it's the same thing that we've been looking at the last few weeks. Sometimes, uh, sometimes we there's that old saying, like, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, It, which is great on one level. Like, there is a beautiful simplicity to that approach that I wholeheartedly endorse and give a thumbs up to. However, there is a potential short-sightedness that comes with that sort of approach and the human impulse to turn something beautiful and simple into something simplistic is, uh, is too strong. That impulse is so, so strong that we can turn something like that little phrase, like, oh, the Bible says it, so I'm just going to run with that. Well, okay, that's great. But at some point, we got to read scripture and and trust that it's not just words on a page, but it's God revealing himself to us. And so when when we sit down and we read this text, it's not just like reading any other book and when we read and we read one book and then we read another section and we're in the old testament we're in the new testament we're in the prophets we're in we're in the letters as we as we come across these different portions of scripture what we should be doing is building this wisdom and discernment over time to be able to say i believe this is what god is calling me too, or calling us too. God values this thing. You, may, you will not see the word curious in your English Bible as you read along. However, it is, I'm, I'm going to show us here in a few minutes that I believe curiosity is at the root of actually who God is and who God is calling us to be. But before we get there, I want to take just a moment, and talk about why I think curiosity is an important um, subject matter for us today. First of all, it's this. Curiosity is a much-needed virtue in a deeply uninquisitive society. We, um, we need some more curious people in the world. And I mean that across the board, inside the church and and outside. Like wh- however you slice it, we are in a moment that we need more people who are more interested in more things and more people. Most most of our interest today, most of our energy when it comes to like learning something new or gathering new information about it we, we've gotten so lazy and we've gotten so used to our own camps and our own ways of thinking that we find in many circles that most of the energy goes into figuring out just how bad the folks are on the other side. That kind of approach to life will kill your soul over time. It will. And... Reminder from last week and from <laughs> from the Gospels. Uh, however much you want to continue and grow in your depth of how much you dislike somebody on the other side, that is still a person that you get to love. That is still a person that you are called to love. So, like, maybe don't spend so much energy on that. Just a thought. <laughs> but we're we're an uninquisitive society. We see a sign. We see somebody with a certain hat. We see that logo on the, on the news site or page. And we just shut down because we're not going there. Like I don't, I don't disagree with their whole thing. And so I don't want to, I just don't want to engage. And you don't know that person. we we are um, we are at a disservice for sure. Uh, because even what was once considered like reliable, news feeds sure like it's perhaps been quite a while since we've been able to refer to such a thing but but e- even the the stations that you would have thought would have been reliable ha- have switched from i mean authentic reporting is very very difficult today there're still some people out there that are trying to do it but the inquisitive nature of an authentic reporter will get you to the bottom of a story not bring a preconceived idea about what is happening and then mirror that and just impose that onto what's what's happening. That's all that's all we get. We get filtered, we get filtered information. We don't get fake news. We get filtered news is what we is what we get a lot of the the time. And as long as you got somebody who shares your same filter, they'll just say what you like to hear. And that feels it that feels real easy and real comfy. And boy is it dangerous for for just like a person in general to like live a life in that thread like that is a dangerous thing and it's particularly dangerous for for folks who are going to claim christ if you want to say that your life is about jesus at all um i think we got to pick up the inquisitive card again be interested be interested Uh, there's much made today about like um folks leaving the church and folks not wanting to... We see p- stories of people abandoning the faith or just not picking up the faith at all, maybe growing up in the church but then walking away. There's more and more and more stories, and, there's, and all of the statistics show that church attendance shrinking here and there. And we... Um, we like to make that about external factors. Well, there's cultural movements that are taking people away from us. And sure, we live in a cultural moment where um, there are absolutely factors that are moving the opposite direction. I, I think, however, there... Um, that is, an op- that is an opportunity for us to look inward, actually, and think about what is it about the way that we are conducting ourselves and doing church and following Jesus. Uh, is There's something about that that has lost a certain appeal. And I think curiosity lies at the, at the heart of a lot of what we are getting wrong. Many folks, many, many have written off Christianity because of Christians who seem uninterested in the world that they critique. In the outside world, like the Christianity is, if you ask a, a random passerby on the street today what they think Christianity is, you're, you'll probably hear a stance on a particular issue. We're seen as grumpy folks who are against this or against that. And not just that, we seem uninterested in the effects of such Positions and interested in the people who who hold them. Many have written off Christianity because because we've just not seemed willing to move past an issue towards a person. We got to take some responsibility here, right? There's a lot of things that that go into our um, obsession with an idea versus uh, a person. Uh, there 's a lot of things that go into that sometimes it's it 's just a fear that if if we are too curious a fear that if a new idea filters its way in well then what does that mean about all those other stuff? I believe if somebody else hears somebody else 's opinion or different approach, maybe they 'll start following that way and we 're just like afraid of like losing folks um, not a not a healthy posture to to live life from whether we 're driven by fear or just a lack of interest. Our unwillingness to explore outside the sphere of what we know and what we understand and what we are comfortable with, our unwillingness to explore will eventually keep us from, from walking through doors that God might be trying to open for us. We never even got to the doormat because I we were like, I'm not going down that not going down that driveway. I'm not interested. Now I wanna be really clear here. I'm I'm not saying we just need to completely give up on all declarative statements altogether and, and simply be a question asking people. Indeed, Scripture is full of both. We got lots of commands and we got lots of questions, we have so many declarative statements, and you will either fall on one side or the other. You will either believe what Jesus has to say about himself, or you won't. And like, where you fall on that yes or no issue will determine the trajectory of your life. But, but within that context, within that context, there's a lot more questions in Scripture than you would think based on looking at the lives of Christians today. We just don't ask enough questions about the the things around us. It's not that there are no commands. It's not that there are no declarative statements. But I will say this. And here's the, here's the beautiful complexity of it, that whenever we get into an issue like this, we're always... We're always pushed towards holding in tension that which God calls us to. It's, it's never a clear and easy one way or another. So take commands and questions, for instance. There are questions that we'd expect and sometimes like to be commands. And then there are commands that we'd like to be questions. There are questions where we'd expect commands. Who do you say that I am? Instead of, believe in me. That's Jesus saying that. There's something easier about the directive than the open ended question. Jesus is okay with the discomfort. Jesus is okay with attention, will we be? There's questions where we'd expect and prefer commands. And then there's commands where we would prefer questions. There's open-ended issues to you and me in this particular time and place and society that are not questions in God's mind. There are yes and nos to things that we want to... um, There's black and white where we wish there was gray, for sure, absolutely. And we can can tell what kind of God that we are making in our image. Notice I'm inverting that. God has made us in, in his image. But we can tell which sort of God that we are making in our image by the stuff that we've made black and white and the stuff that we've made gray. When we come to Scripture, uh, when we come to Scripture and we find that something that we've made gray, God has made black and white, or something that we've made black and white that God has made gray, at some point along the way, we've let the way that we think and prefer the world to be, our preference for how things ought to be should be in the world and there's so many things that shape that and we got to be compassionate about that absolutely but at some point we got to we got to let Jesus be the one to drive us into certain areas of clarity and then a whole lot of areas of gray there are many more gray areas than a lot of us are are comfortable with the reality is that scripture presents god as a curious God God as a curious being. And in this respect, as well as many other traits, we, our fundamental call is to emulate God, to follow God's example. You be holy because I'm holy is what God says. I was reminded just this week of the, of the verse in 1 Corinthians where Paul says... To this Riley bunch of of believers in in Corinth, you follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. To Paul, Jesus was not just an interesting teacher who had some crazy ideas or or whatnot. He wasn't just a compelling leader. To Paul, the essence of faith was saying, I'm going to model my life after what I saw in Jesus of Nazareth. His life is the blueprint for mine, and I'm going to try to make that as, as much of a reality as possible so that you, Corinthians, can, can follow in my footsteps as well. So many of us think of following Jesus ultimately. We can tell this by our, our approach to life and, and the way that we uh, go about our days. We approach following Jesus as a practical impossibility, we, we think like, Jesus did this and that and the other, and like that is outside of the realm of what I, I can do. And Paul said, no, he was an example. I'm trying to follow it as best as possible. Not perfectly, but I'm trying, I'm trying to, to follow. We ought to be trying to take the fact that God asks questions and work that into our own lives. It ought to blow our minds that God, the one who needs no new information, cannot stop asking questions. If ever there was a being who did not have to ask anything, it would be God, gaining no new information every time he asks something, every time he receives a reply. Why then? Why then does God ask questions? Well, I want to just look at two examples. One, we got to dip our toes into last fall as we looked through Genesis, and then one from the life of of Jesus that I already alluded to. But Genesis 3, the first stuff that God says when he encounters Adam and Eve in the garden. This is right after the fall, Genesis 3, starting in verse 9. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. In the cool of the day, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That's where they're at, hiding in shame. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Question, where are you? Was God looking for information on where Adam and Eve were? No. But notice, it's an open-ended question. Where are you? It is not a command, come here. There is a softness to a question that could have just as easily been spoken as a command. where are you, instead of come here? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Again, not looking for a new piece of information, but inviting reflection on the part of the one who had just broken a relationship. Immediately, God is on the move towards. Remember, we talked about that all throughout Genesis. God's grace is that, that He is on the move towards us, no matter how much we want to move away, to hide. Who told you you were naked? And then, so two open ended questions, and then the closed question Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not? to eat from. There's the crux of the issue and it's not the first thing out of God's mouth. God is so deeply interested in relationship with you and me that when, when we have done wrong, when we find ourselves in the place of Adam, God does not come blasting through the door, pointing fingers, yelling, screaming, this is what you have done wrong. That is not the posture of God. I'm not saying that God does not get mad. God does get mad at certain particular things. It's always consistent stuff that God gets mad at throughout the Old Testament. It it happens. It does happen. But but this individual moment of, uh, of a slip-up, of a mistake made, God, in that moment, is, is so interested in relationship. He's like, I'm going to ask some questions and try to draw out what's actually happening here so that we can mend this and move forward. How different would our lives be if we treated other people like that? Or if we knew that God treated us like that? He doesn't just blow through the door and start accusing. That accusing voice, he, he knows that that accusing voice arises within us plenty strongly in the first place. We've got that one down. The negative self-talk that follows a moment of failure of a sort. Uh, we've got that on lock. We're we are We're just fine. With that. And God in God in great compassion and grace in that moment says, I'm gonna ask you some questions, and we're gonna we're gonna get our way out of this together. Let's look at Mark chapter eight. Just for example, straight from the life of Jesus. Um, the gospel writers all together record over three hundred questions. From Jesus and sure there's some duplications from one to the next. the synoptic Gospels Matthew, Mark and Luke are telling roughly the same story though in from different perspectives and so there's some there's some duplication in those numbers, but the point still stands you cannot get very far into any Jesus monologue first of all, not a whole lot of long monologues from from Jesus. But you cannot get very far, you cannot get very many verses without running into a question. If you you read back through the Sermon on the Mount, most of it is questions followed by some declarative statements. Most Most of what carries it along, most of his posture towards those people is questions, questions, questions. Trying to get you to think, trying to put it on you and me to an extent. Mark 8 Verse 37, Jesus and his disciples went went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? A fun conversation starter, Jesus. Who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And Jesus then shifts the conversation. He primed the pump a little bit. He shifts the conversation and says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Not, do you believe in me? And not, believe in me. It's not a close-ended question, and it's not a command. It's an open-ended, who do you say that I am? And Peter offers... The answer, you are the Messiah. This is what Jesus, this is the posture of Jesus towards us. Who do you say that I am? There is a definitive answer. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of all things. Jesus is God come in human flesh to, to save us from a situation we could not have saved us But do you you hear the difference between who do you say that I am versus do you believe in me? Jesus and these open-ended questions. There are plenty of closed questions. There are plenty of yes or no moments in, in the way that Jesus deals with his disciples and with those around him. There's plenty of that along the way. Absolutely. But... We would do well to follow in Jesus footsteps of learning to craft these dynamic open-ended questions. One of the most important classes I ever took in in grad school was Teaching for Transformation and in that class we had we had a long time talking about how do we craft dynamic questions? How do we craft open questions? And and like that that doesn't necessarily fall into the stuff that we naturally think about when it comes to discipleship to Jesus, when we think about our following uh, of Jesus, we think about X, Y, and Z. We think about so many things that we gotta keep keep straight. And our ability to ask good questions may not have fallen into those categories to this moment. But I would submit to you that if we look at the the evidence of Scripture from beginning to end, when God is interacting with his people and we see that God is interested in asking good questions, questions, we ought to at some point be able to say, because of that, I too need to be the kind of person who asks an an open-ended question, who learns to ask something other than a yes or no response. Some of us get frustrated with folks who give short answers to us, and it's because we've never asked anything more than a yes or no question in our life. I get one more responses. Well, you ask for it when you have a close, a close-ended question. Uh, uh, Open ended questions are the catalyst to deeper relationship, to intimacy, to actual a depth of understanding something, not just writing it off or swiping through to the next thing. I, I want us as a body of believers, to not be afraid of ideas, to not be afraid of something that may um, make us uncomfortable to an extent. I, I, I want us to not be afraid of being folks who like, actually change our mind on stuff. I think that as we focus more on the fundamentals and the foundational elements of our faith, what is absolutely true and what we cannot ever stray from, as we grow more secure in that foundation and are okay with that not being as broad as maybe we once thought, based on your personality, you may need a broader foundation, you may need a narrower foundation. It's just, it's kind of how how we are as people. It's good for us to always be thinking about that. But I want us, in the context of that foundation, to be interested in the world and, and to be the kind of Christians that, that people around us can at least say, oh, they can have a conversation about that. I know that they'll at least sit down and like, I could ask them about that without being written off immediately, without being talked out of the room, without it turning into an argument. We got to stop being such such antagonistic folks to the wide world around us. If we ever, if we ever want to take compassion seriously, if we want, ever want to care for those who do not know Jesus, if we want them to be drawn into relationship with him, we have to at some point learn how to ask good questions, to be a curious folk. And so uh, there's, there's a reason that I end every sermon with a question. I, I don't give you points to take away and three steps to go and enact this every week because that would be easier, right? That would be, it's a little bit easier. I like to bother you if you haven't, <laughs> haven't noticed already. There's a reason I, I end with a question every, every week. And this, this week is a question about questions, actually. What's an area of your life where you could stand to replace a period with a question mark, I think this about fill in the blank whether it's a certain topic, a certain group of people, a certain candidate, a certain party, whatever you I think this about them what what is an area that you that both you and the people around you, could be well served by a question mark. A hint of curiosity, a leaning into complexity, rather than shrinking back in fear of it. God will go with you into complex and messy things. God will go with you in all of the questions that, you ask. Let's learn to ask them. Well, worship team, why don't you come on, come on up? We're gonna uh, we're going sing. We're gonna have an opportunity to take the Lord's supper here together. What what better way to celebrate the curiosity of God than to take the cup and the bread together as a reminder. That the God of the universe came, the curious God of the universe came and took on human flesh. Did not have to, to do that, but did, did so on our behalf. What a great way to get to celebrate the curious God. Lord, we, um, we ask that you uh, give us wisdom and uh, discernment and And embracing these foundational things that you call us to believe, and then leaning into the areas of complexity that we don't know about, that we want to know more about, and the kind of people that that we want to love and serve well. Would you help us live a life of curiosity, both as individuals and as a community? We want to be a curious folk here in West Eugene. Would you lead us into that? In Jesus' name, amen.